Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week is Pete Fowler, who's here to talk about the very interesting story of his founding of Pinner Machine Shop, which includes a lot of fun twists and turns, including Pete milling parts in his kitchen, and more broadly, just Pete's very cool story of teaching himself machining and starting to make a lot of interesting, useful, and burly parts for folks who are breaking bikes, need help when they're on a vacation in Whistler, and otherwise could just use some assistance keeping their bike up and running. And along the way, we also get into it about what keeps Pete motivated and how he comes up with his best product ideas and his job as a mechanic at Chromag and a whole lot more. It's a fun conversation, but before we get into it, I want to take a quick minute to encourage you to check out our Blister membership, which includes a lot of really cool benefits, including all of our deep dives and flash reviews, the ability to send us an email and get help with the gear that you're looking to buy, and as of this week, being able to view our brand new Blister Winter Buyer's Guide, which includes a ton of incredible information about skis, snowboards, boots, bindings, and all the other gear you need to get out on the slopes this winter. So check that out. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Pete. Well, Pete, thanks for taking the time to chat today. How are you today? And where are you today? Uh, I'm, I'm in my garage here in Whistler. I've got quite a bit of work to do here, but I'm, I'm going actually have a day job down at Chromag. So I'm, I'm off to Chromag today, uh, do the day's work and then come home and do a cram in as much side work as I can. That's kind of the gist of, and that's how the summer's been really, to be honest, but not too much riding, but um, yeah, do what I can. Yeah. Well, that's kind of touched nicely on why I wanted to have you on here because you've got a bunch of interesting irons in the fire in the bike world here between working at Chromag and your other side business as Pinner Machine Shop. And so just kind of wanted to chat about all that and how you got into doing both of those things and kind of hear the story. So I guess to kick it off, probably most folks listening are familiar with Chromag. Pinner Machine Shop might be a little more hit or miss on that. So can you just tell us a little bit about what Pinner is and what you do there? It's it's very much grown organically in that um, I, I started with an idea. I want to say I think it was like eight years ago. I wanted to make a pedal. I had a crazy idea for a kind of hybrid pedal in between a clip and a flat. And I don't know. I, I'm sure many people have had ideas and they wanted to bring them to fruition. And and I couldn't afford anyone else to make it for me. So I, I was like. I didn't know anything about machining or what how, how things are made, so I kind of decided to just buy a, a you know a, a cheap, a very very cheap uh, milling machine and try and work out how to make myself a little prototype. Um, and it soon became pretty evident that um, things don't just happen. Uh, and so I went basically off on a tangent and started learning how to machine stuff instead. 
Um, and the pedal idea fell by the wayside and, and I haven't looked at it since. <laughs> and so, yeah, with seven years on and, and I'm basically enjoying every part of um, the machining side more than the creative and product designing side. I, I do a, a little bit of product design here and there. And I did that at university over in the UK. Um, but most of my stuff is is problem solving for people. Um, I worked at a mountain bike shop uh, here in Whistler for a number of years and, and really enjoyed that interaction with the customer and solving problems and getting people back on their bikes and, and seeing them um, happy to be back on their working bicycle was, was the, the best part of the job. So this is like an extension of that uh, side of it, really. Uh, I make one bolt here and one bolt there for people who just break stuff on their holidays and they're here to ride their bike for two weeks and they really need to get back on the mountain. And, and that, that's, that's a rewarding part of, the, of what I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine being in Whistler is a pretty good spot to be for those little kind of one-off jobs where someone's up there broken something and just yeah. need to get back at it. And uh I think that's kind of what I found so cool about a lot of what you've been up to just following along on Instagram and whatnot of making little bits and bobs like just replacement beefed up pivot bolts for bikes and replacement axles and all kinds of little odds and ends like that and often not just making a replacement for the original thing but a stronger heavier duty version thereof uh as appropriate and so how do you kind of i guess think about what sort of little odds and ends you want to try to make and what does the process tend to look like for you know is it just like people coming and hitting you up and saying well hey i'm here i broke my whatever need a new one or how does all this stuff come about uh, there's there's kind of two channels really there's there's the um I need this now immediately channel, which is um, mostly bolts and, and uh, more, more recently has been um, axles for a particular brand uh, of hub that I've been making replacement stronger ones, as you say. Um, and, and I use the term stronger as pretty loosely because it's not something that can be tested over and over again it's not like a product that someone's designing and spending months developing it's literally like here's a here's a solver for you put it on your bike um it didn't break and then other people hear about it and then they want one and then all of a sudden i find myself making uh, little production runs of, of axles that actually take me a long time to make to drill a big hole through an axle uh, through a solid bar of material and um and then Stuff like that, I'll 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 put it on my 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 website, and then people can just buy it, and I'll I'll usually turn it around in a, a week or two, um, depending on who it is. If someone needs it here in Whistler, I'll try and do what I can for them. Um, but then the, the the other channel is when someone comes to me with a, like a, a problem that doesn't have like I'm not going to make a, a replacement part. I'm going to make a new part that needs a bit of design work too. And if that goes well, then I'll also turn that into a product that, that can be sold. And for instance, the what I call the space shuttle, which is on the on my website now. And um, they're just basically a, a spacer that, that's, that moves the spring up the shock and changes 
the position of the the spring for interference purposes on the on the forbidden bikes, and that works in conjunction with cascade link uh, stuff. So it, it's kind of that side of thing is 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 people looking to upgrade, make upgrades, make changes, make custom alterations to the bikes, and that's pretty interesting. But it also comes with a lot more thinking time, and and it, and it can maybe take a long time to get going and then eventually it turns into a, a you know a more sellable product but i like just those little shops you and a few others just out there making things that you know small volume parts that you're not going to maybe sell a ton of but are a useful bitter little piece that'll get someone able to put together a combination of things that wouldn't work otherwise and it's just cool to have little shops out there doing stuff like that. So I'd like to kind of bring it back around to that process of learning machining and kind of starting with the pedal project that ultimately didn't materialize. But once you bought the little mill and started in on figuring out how to use it and figure out how to be a machinist, kind of what did the subsequent steps look like after that? You mentioned already that you kind of realized you had a lot more to learn and took a deeper dive down that but where did you go from there and how did you go about learning um i mean we're we're pretty lucky these days in that we live in a, a time when um youtube and all, all these things are, are so available i can't imagine going to university or, or whatever you to learn a, a topic like this because it's so in-depth um I find it it's pretty pretty cheeky of us now that we can go in and cherry pick the information that we need for a particular job that we want to do. We don't have to go through the whole textbook and and learn it all. And and that can come at, as a good thing and a bad thing because obviously there's little tripping hazards here. If you don't know the basics, then um, you, you can sort of jump to the end product before you really really worked out how to do it properly. Um, but yeah, the first milling machine I had, um, I put it in my kitchen. I was in a rented accommodation. It was in a kitchen right next to the kitchen sink. So the chips of metal would come off the milling machine and go into the sink sometimes. And, you know, the missus wasn't too happy about that. And, and then we moved house to another place. And that was also, in, that was in the, the, the rented, um, garage, uh, space, and, you know, I just felt like I constantly just had to tidy up and, and clean up and, and, and keep all the metal, uh, chips off of my, uh, my landlord's stuff in the garage. And then we, we finally bought a place and now I have a, a garage of my own. I can, I can make a mess and no one needs to come in here and, and see it. <laughs> So, so I don't have a premises that I can I can really have customers come around to. Um, but yeah, this is where I do it. Um, the machining has all been a, a case of YouTube and um, a lot of learning from other Instagram users who've given advice and things like that. Uh, I've read a lot of books as well. Um, I've done as much reading as I can, um, and and it can be trial and error too, you know? So, and, and definitely looking back at the things I've made at the beginning of the story, 
I'll look at something and go, wow, that was, that's nowhere near as good as, as some of the stuff that I make now. So, yeah. Experience is no, there's no replacement for experience. No. And I love the bit about the early mill in the kitchen and all the rest. In my former life as a mechanical engineer, I've always had access to a machine shop at work and been able to just go in and make this or that if I've needed it. And uh, that's one thing that I've been kind of missing having the access to of late, Mm -hmm. but um, have kind of had the thought that one day when I have more space and can make room for it, I'd love to get some machine tools and start spinning up a little shop of my own but that's some good inspiration that yeah. maybe you don't need quite yeah. as much space as i've been envisioning and though yeah i can't imagine that uh my partner would be too thrilled about me having a mill in the kitchen either so <laughs> a little bit of a negotiation that might need to happen there it's not too hygienic no um no yeah this is a tiny little space i've got um 160 square feet so and what do you have in there for machines um, I've got a, my main lathe, uh, which is, they're, they're only small machines. This is a small Austrian lathe made by Emco. Um, I have a second one that I've just bought and, uh, I found it in the States and had it shipped up to Canada. Um, and I've got to do a bit more work on that to get that going. So I can have two lathes set up for different things which is going to be a huge help for me because every time I want to change a chuck or change over um, tooling on this one lathe, it takes time. And um, that, that second lathe is going to be brilliant. I've got a, um, a medium-sized milling machine behind me that's uh, freestanding. It's full-height milling machine, but it's, it's not a huge kind of Bridgeport machine that you sometimes see. Um, but it's rigid enough for what I, what I ask of it. Um, a lot of the bicycle stuff's all aluminum, uh, soft aluminum parts. So, aluminum's pretty easy to work with. You don't need anything. Super pretty stiff, easy, super yeah. And bicycle stuff, unless you, I'm not, I'm not making frames. You know, bicycle stuff is small. There's not much bigger than your fist. You know, I'm not, I'm not about to start making um, huge rocker links or anything like that. Um, uh, it's just not something it doesn't go with the territory with what i've i've begun here so. sure so i guess from there you kind of got some more machines learned what you were doing a bit better what did you start off making in the early days after the pedal project didn't really go anywhere kind of where did you start is it just kind of straight into what you're doing now of doing replacement bolts and odds and ends like that or where'd you get going on it so yeah, the first thing I made, I remember I was I was with my friend my friend Pat and um, Patrick had a, a hub that was too small for his frame, and uh, he had a he had a new boost frame and he wanted to extend the end cap on it and make it fit. Um, and I kind of I fell in love with that with the idea of making things uh, more sustainable. In that you know he had a nice hub, you know a hub made over in Lancashire from where I'm from, um, from Hope Technology. And um, the hub was something that should last 10 years, you know, with the proper maintenance. And so I made him an extension end cap to make it boost and then a a rotor spacer. And I did all that without the lathe. Like I didn't have a lathe at that point. Um, I just had that, that little Chinese milling machine. 
and I, I bought myself a really cheap uh, rotary table so you can make round parts on a on a on a mill. And um, I whittled this thing out of out of a solid chunk, and he was stoked. He was so happy, and he's still got that same wheel now. And he's that kind of guy, you know. We do live in a very sort of uh, consumable society, you know. And he he's just one of those people who who keeps his old stuff running a long time. And uh, I I kind of fell into that uh, way of thinking and. And more and more people wanted these adapters. And that was around about the time when boost, the boost spacing was coming in. And so everybody kind of wanted to do that. And that's not something I do as much of anymore because everyone's on, on that standard now. Um, so I started doing that. And then I, I was working at Chromag. I started working at Chromag around about that sort of time. Um, and we had a derailleur hanger that needed a particular tool um to take the 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 nut off the fixing um off there and what i found was a standard socket set was terrible much like suspension top caps uh it would round off the the soft aluminum part and it just wouldn't make a a nice job of it and we were at that time um prepping so many frames that you know you you need the you need to do the job quickly but you needed to do it professionally so that it didn't look like someone had hacked it on and off. We, we'd take every hanger off every frame and put it back on with Loctite and, and grease and make sure that the frame was prepped um, nicely for the customer. Um, so I made this special socket with a, a little boss in the middle that goes into the sort of axle end uh, that holds it all straight and stops it coming off and... Um, that worked really well. We used it in the shop for like a year. And then I started making one. I came up with the idea of putting a, um, a rear axle through the tool to use that as a, as a lever. So if it was an emergency situation on, on, the, on the trail, you had this little tool but didn't have a handle, you use the axle as a handle, um, which was pretty cool. It was a bit of fun. And uh, I decided to go crazy and ask a local bike a, a local machine shop to make me um i don't know did i uh, 150 of these uh sold them all yeah it was just it's like a learning curve product design all that technical drawing which is something i hadn't really done a lot of i'd done a bit of cad at uni but i i didn't really know what i was doing with SolidWorks or anything like that and I just worked it out, right? And that that whole process was so enjoyable, learning it. Um, so I made this little tool. And along with that, with the, there was all the little boost kits. And I was doing loads of boost kits. Like, I was the boost kit guy for a long time, you know. Now I'm the bolt guy. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I like that. And just the note about keeping things going is great. Like, there are a lot of really good non-boost hubs out there in the world that are still working awesome, but frames don't accommodate them anymore. And so things like that are similarly the bolts, just fixing up what we've got and keeping it trucking rather than tossing stuff and starting over. I'm, I'm all for. So I just, I mean, I really like also just kind of the self-directed learning as you go approach to getting all this figured out and would be curious if looking back on it now are there 
any particular things that you wish you had known in the early days or advice that you would give yourself if you were starting it over again, just how to go about learning this stuff and where to start? Or do you feel like you kind of did a pretty good job of doing it organically? Uh, I probably would have talked to more people. I probably would have reached out to more um, professionals in the, in the field um, or, or, you know, gone to school and learned it. But maybe the path that I've found myself on would have been very different if I'd done that. So, you know, coming to Whistler in 2010, I arrived. Um, that put me down the path of, of being a mechanic in a busy mountain bike mecca where you learn lots of things. Um, if I've not learned all those things or learned that way of helping people, maybe I wouldn't have enjoyed this helping people side of things that I'm doing now. And, you know, I'm pretty happy with the, the, the route it's taken, but I certainly would have benefited, I think, from learning something from a person uh, versus just fudging my way through it on my own. Um, having said that, the, the, the information that we have now is is crazy. It's it's good. It allows a lot of makers to become what they are. Yeah, certainly, it's a lot easier to go find resources just sitting on the, your couch on your computer. You know, it's incredible how much is out there, and it's also a wormhole, and it can lead to the wrong output as well, the the wrong end result. Um, you can spend way too much time on the computer, and a lot of the time. The best, the best thing I can do is like just try and make something, and then work out how that looks or how that works, performs, and and make another one. I can make two or three of the same thing and, and make it better in the end, probably quicker than I can sit on the computer and watch several YouTube videos. And it's a balance. It's like depends what it is. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense, and just you do learn a lot from make trying to make something and just figuring out the process better and even with the best of intentions it can be pretty easy to design something that's actually harder to end to make in the end than you thought or intended it to be and you end up refining the design just for manufacturability reasons as you go and all that kind of stuff so that makes a lot of sense that that's kind of the way I do things too. Is I, I don't I don't bother like drawing it on the computer. You know, I, I I draw it on a piece of paper with a pen. I got some metric um, squared paper, and I draw everything in this book that I have. And uh, everything that I make, I make a drawing for because there's no point in trying to juggle numbers in your head and trying to remember things. If you just draw a simple bolt. Um, on a piece of paper, you've got it in front of you, and you know what you're what you're about. Um, but just just like the manual machines and and all this, they lend you, they lend themselves to this way of doing things. You, you're not going to jump in the deep end and and try and program a CNC machine to make one tiny little part. Some people do it, and and it's amazing. You know, they they probably spend longer setting that job up than it takes to machine it right whereas this is kind of the other way around i I spend less time thinking and faffing and more time making and and i think i get the thing done quicker but i don't know yeah 
believe that, particularly for stuff where you're not doing a huge volume run of them, just ones and twos, the setup time to program something is pretty substantial. And kind of back to your earlier point, too, about just having learned yourself and kind of had this more self-directed approach to it rather than going to school for machining or more design work. I mean, I th- I see pros and cons to both, you know, having got a mechanical engineering degree and worked as one for close to a decade. I just saw a lot of people who younger engineers, especially coming out of college who hadn't really done much machining, especially on manual machines and didn't, or done kind of anything that you've just been describing of just like a quick sketch and go make one. And so you have all these people who are good engineers in a lot of ways, but are only able to conceptualize the stuff if they do an absolutely full CAD model of it and everything's all through the computer and kind of don't have the more old school, I guess, way of, of doing things and the drafting skills and that kind of stuff. And so you just end up with different skill sets and there's value in both. Absolutely. I know what you mean. Like I work with some people and they wouldn't mind me saying, um, I don't think that they, they very much work in a virtual world where they know what they want to achieve and they know what, how to make it appear on the screen. But uh, they'll at the same time come to me and ask for advice, tapping a thread or it's something that I think is very, very simple or, or how do we cut this or how do we, uh, even begin this project in the real world, you know? Um, yeah, like, and, and the drawing side of things, people have said, oh, I really like your drawing. Like, you're really good at drawing. I'm like, it's just, a, they're just lines on, to me, I, I enjoyed art at school, but this is, this is a different side of drawing, you know? This is, they, they just sometimes marvel at how, easy I can just sort of draw freehand on a, on a piece of paper whereas if you if you've only ever drawn on a computer the people can't get their head around that and it's it, it's a fundamental thing right a fundamental skill but it's all the same problem it's just two very different um, angles that we're coming from so it's really interesting and now like I know people will just jump in and, and they want to solve it but they want to do a project and they'll buy a you know you can just buy a cnc machine a pretty reasonably priced machine and jump in at the deep end and having they don't don't know anything about machining or how a cutter works on on a piece of material and um, i'm really glad i went about it the way i have for me because that's the way i learn if i crash my lathe or if i crash my manual mill there's no there's no real um, downside to that other than breaking a cutter or something but if I crash a CNC machine I might ruin a spindle that costs thousands of dollars or or what have you and um, I think this has been a, a more gentle approach for me learning at home and, and having the budget to do that right yeah definitely there's a lot to be gained by learning how to do things on manual machines to start with and uh, I, I've frankly done a lot more myself with those haven't i mean i've designed a lot of parts that have gotten cnc machined in my career over the years but haven't done much programming or actually running on one myself it's all been more just make a print hand it off someone else does it and 
being able to do stuff manually is, I think, pretty valuable in terms of just knowing kind of how the things work and having a good understanding of how things get cut and what actually works. So that's been been useful. So we touched a little bit on your work at Chromag, but tell us a bit more about what you do there and how you wound up there in the first place. Uh, I was working at uh, a bike shop in Whistler called Bico. I was there for six years. Um, I just fancied something different, you know. Six years is a good amount of time to be in any job, you know. Um, but it was just time to just, um, I guess, move away from being the sort of bike shop mechanic to something a little bit more um, just a different angle. Like Chromag's a, a bike manufacturer, and I found that interesting, the fact that that stuff gets designed there and there was definitely a temptation for to, to become involved in that side of things. I'd love to be, have any input into it, the way things look or, or are designed, you know, that, that excited me. Um, so I, I started there um, five and a half, six years ago now um, as a bike mechanic. And that was my way in, you know, and, and that's basically, that's fundamentally what I do still. Um, and yeah, we prep frames and, and, and to some extent the, the, the work was more repetitive because, you know, we were prepping, you know, 90 frames um, at once to go to a distributor. And, and that's obviously... It's a lot more repetitive than at a bike shop where you've got one-on-one interactions with customers all the time. Um, did that, but then slowly I've just started to become a little bit more involved more recently with the engineers team upstairs there. Um, I do a little bit of prototype work for them here and there uh, in that I might just... Make, make spin some bolts up for uh, a certain prototype bike that we are putting together or or what have you um, like that there's that tool that I made for them too uh, little problem solvers like that um, done some frame jigs for the welder uh, over on the island he makes some of our hardtail frames and some of the the newer um exciting bikes that we're doing there and that was pretty cool like a f- building a frame jig was pretty interesting lots of little parts and and but all the great thing about that was that the engineers did the drawings gave me these finished drawings and they were really good to work from because everything's right in front of you i didn't have to draw it myself or do any math or uh, anything like that so that got that kind of started to snowball, you know. I'd get more and more jobs from from Ben, the engineer there, um, and he, I could tell, enjoyed giving me the jobs because um, he liked seeing, you know, as much as it's fun to to draw something, it's really cool to see what you've drawn become real in front of you, um, and not have to wait for it from China. You know, we didn't have to order a, a prototype from somewhere else and wait for it. Um, I would do my best to get it back to him the next day and 
and he'd be he'd be stoked to see it sort of appear in front of him. Um, so yeah, I do a, a, quite a bit more of that stuff now. I, I I'm lucky to have a really good um, team of mechanics that I work with who do a lot more of the frame prep stuff, um, and they're stoked um, to be a part of it too. And I, I'm lucky to to be more project based now in my work. So yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good kind of meeting of the, in the middle of, of the two jobs too, of being able to kind of combine both and get to do bits and pieces of pinner with Chromex. So, uh, and like you said, just getting to actually watch the stuff that you've designed come to life really more in front of you as an engineer is pretty cool. So I very much appreciate that. Would be curious to hear a little more about just some of your favorite kinds of things to do with the pinner job. I mean, what are of the various things that you make and you do, what are the kind of the most fun for you and what do you find the most interesting? I think when um when people come to you with a project where one thing doesn't fit another um or i th- i think i think just the the sort of working under pressure is something i enjoy quite a lot uh when someone needs uh, an axle that they've broken or, or what have you on the holidays and and i've got i've talked about this before but um I, I think i think just working on a project that someone's really excited about and um or, or just you know, so grateful for um, that. That's kind of the best bit um, for me. So sometimes I get I'm, I'm making some uh, bleed tools for um, Shimano brakes at the moment, and the, the little um, bleed funnels, bleed cups. And um, I, I currently make them all myself, but I'm actually um, trying to. I'm actually getting a company over on the island, on Vancouver Island, um, to make a hundred of them for me, which is a little bit nerve-wracking because I gotta, I gotta sell them once they land, right? Um, that's that side of things is becoming a bit more interesting to me because um, I can use my manual machines to conceptualize and and, and prototype and actually use get to get to use a product and test it properly it, it that gives me a new sort of level of value to to the setup i have here because you know i've spent a lot of money on tools and um or at least it's a lot of money to me and it's it's just good to know that the, those machines are going to continue to to be useful um in different ways not just making bolts and bits and pieces um because what kind of once you've made one bolt you've made You've made kind of them all, but uh, to a degree, to a degree, they're all a bit different. But uh, as as long as I keep learning, I think is is my main goal because I think that's why unintentionally I started all this is because I wanted to learn something new. Um, been a mountain bike mechanic, or been a bike mechanic for twenty five years, which is like. <laughs> a lot of a lot of wrenching so 
Um, I'm not saying it becomes boring or anything like that, but you just definitely need to keep learning. Um, so anything where I'm learning basically is how to put it in a nutshell is, is the most enjoyable part about what I do. I like that. And I think that's a pretty good note to wrap up on here. Just saying that you're out there doing this because it's cool to learn new stuff. And I really just applaud taking the dive and learning how to machine stuff without too much background in it and buying a machine and just getting after it like you've done. So I think that's a very cool thing that you've done and impressed with it and been fun following along. So just good on you for doing it. And thanks for sitting down to chat. This has been fun. Thanks a lot, David. Cheers. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, if you're appreciating these shows, we'd really appreciate it back if you would take a quick minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Pete for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everybody.